Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena Strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 125, Seville Sowers 2020. Can't be much worse. My name is David Seville. I have Travis Sowers on the line with me this week. How are you, sir? I'm excited to be your vice president, David. Yeah, what's uh, what are our campaign kind of platforms? What's what's our what's our pronged approach to this? What what are our core um, campaign promises? I guess I don't know how to run a campaign. I don't really either, but I think you promise things that are completely unrealistic at all. So we're going to end the reserve list unless you really like the reserve list and in, in, in which case we're totally going to protect it. So like that's platform number one, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, we're going to have real bot drafting or real people drafting on arena, unless you like bot drafting, in which case you can keep the existing bot drafting, but then also you can draft with people uh, unless you have a pre-existing condition, in which case you can't do either. Unless you move to Canada where drafting Correct. is free. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think but we've basically a got a great platform for this. That's a good platform. You have to wait a long, a long time to draft on, on online in Canada. The queues are really long. Well, that's what I've heard, yeah. Okay, I, that's good. That's good. Um, so we can, if you're looking to donate to our campaign, uh, that's Seville Sowers 2020, you can just, uh, actually, where can they <laughs> send that money? Well, there you go. If you're looking for a plug, you found one. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast and would like to hear more of it or support it directly, you can check out patreon.com slash arena underscore athletes. Uh, you can choose to make a donation of any amount that you're comfortable with from as little as a dollar per show all the way up to $4 per show if you're a monster or even more. That'll help us. Uh, Dave got a new microphone through the Patreon funds, um, and we use that to like funnel back towards the show. Um, we also have some exclusive rewards. We do a mic check, um, so you'll get access to that and kind of hear the inner thoughts of Travis and David as we get these things rolling. So check out the Patreon. If you dig what we're putting together and you can support it, we'd appreciate it. If you dig what we're doing and you are not able to support it, tell a friend, bring a friend to the show. That's even better. I must say that we do have the odd, very good story in the mic check. This week is no exception to that rule. Uh, yep. Yep. Real money shot. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So this week, in case you can't tell, we're going to talk about the uh, the new standard event on Arena. Well, it's not really standard, but it's uh, the new constructed event on Arena, the Core 2020 or the Standard 2020 uh, Constructed Cues. Um, it, I've played a few so far. I really enjoy it. Um, I said last week, I think, that I really enjoy events that restrict your uh, deck choices. So whether that be Popper or Singleton or, or Brawl or things like that. Uh, and I think this is no exception, even though... It's kind of a weird format because it's kind of supposed to be prepping you for the new standard because you're not playing with cards that have rotated out or that will be rotating out. You're also not really playing with any of the new cards, sans the five or six or whatever that you can win by playing the Brawl event. So it's kind of this weird standard that's not really going to exist for any time period, except that small period of time bef- between 
opening up arena and going into the queue for the first time and then finally breaking down and opening up those packs that you got or going into your first couple of drafts or spending your wild cards so it's really just like the return to kitchen table magic in the early days of arena for like maybe like six hours before you break down and start building those meta decks i mean to an extent it's also like an interesting version of block constructed right like back in my day we used to have you know three block sets or three set blocks and block constructed was a thing. And this is essentially a four set block that you can build with right now. And I found that to be quite interesting. There's some decks that have already shown themselves to be pretty darn good in this format. And then others that I thought would be somewhat rotation proof have turned out to be pretty rotation proof. And we've still been able to play with them. I played with two decks today uh, on stream for gosh, about five hours and, and had a lot of fun with this. I think my approach to this is going to be, because I'm always slow to get into standard. I never buy into the the first meta deck that comes out. I wait a little bit for the meta to settle. I'm looking for a deck that's going to carry me through that first couple of weeks of ranked and let me, you know, get to gold, get to plat, win enough games to finish my quests and get my weekly wins and things like that. So I'm really just looking for something to carry me along at a at a reasonable win rate, you know, something that I can express my skill and maybe squeeze out a couple of extra wins here and there. I'm not really looking for anything to to beat the world. So I think this is a perfect event for me. And then maybe I can translate that over into paper because obviously I won't have much of a paper collection yet. I'm not going to go out and buy the the expensive cards right away. So it'd, it'd be nice to be able to roll in to an F&M maybe a couple of weeks after the pre-release, slam down one of these decks that I'm trying in this event and know that at least I can play it and know how it works and, and probably get a couple of wins with it. That's that's my goal from this event. Yeah, I, I also think it's nice, like, it, it, and it's worth discussing. I've heard a lot of negativity on Twitter and Reddit, and lo and behold, there's negativity on Twitter no. and Reddit. Yeah, I, no. That is your shocked face, I can tell, about how awful this event-wise is, and it's just terrible that you have to, you know, win two games in a row to get your experience points for your battle pass or whatever. And it brings me back to the like the battle passes in other games and most other games, which is what Wizards was honestly trying to do here. It's really not feasible to get all the levels from just playing. You'd have to buy them. And that's kind of the point of that is it's a way to monetize this. But for me, like initially I was a little upset that like, hey, this is best of one. I've got to win two in a row. And then I was like, wait a minute. That's actually just like sort of pseudo best of three. And I don't have to fiddle with a sideboard for a format that doesn't exist. Like normally I'm not a huge fan of best of one. I think it actually works really well for this because uh, you just get to put together different decks, see different things, play different things. If you're looking to get a couple more experience points for your battle pass, cool. If you're just looking to experience the format, that's cool too. And you don't have to play it, right? So like there's a lot of griping points for me on Arena this isn't one of them. I've been very happy with how they did the battle pass. I like the cosmetics. I think this event is fantastic. Um, if you do not make good on your campaign pro um, promise and get me real people drafts, I'm not voting for you again, Mr. Seville. Uh, but th that's, that's a story for another podcast. This event's actually pretty good. Um, speaking of the battle pass, while we're on the subject, I'm at about level 81 and I'm pretty close to what I think the maximum level if you do all of your events and all of your weekly rewards and stuff. I, I think I missed a couple of, of quests when I was in Vegas. Um, and there's still two more weeks of rewards left to go. So there's, th well, there's technically three because I haven't finished this week yet. So I think I figured it out that I should be able to get 
you know, in the, in the mid nineties quite easily. And this can easily put me over the top with a little bit of effort. So if you're a completionist and you've kind of been playing this the whole time, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal to you to sit down and play a few games and, and get close to that level hundred. If you're in the fifties, you know, you obviously haven't been playing it, trying to get to that 70 or whatever to get all of your packs for, for M20. So this also gives you that opportunity to catch up, but there's still two weeks left, two and a half weeks left or whatever. Like you should be able to get, you know, most of the way to 70 if you have had a reasonable start on this. And for people that haven't bought the battle pass, it's really 70 is or 72 or something. That's where your limit is. Anybody that bought the battle pass, I can't remember what the math works out to be, but I, I was fiddling with it and I bought it around like level 60 because I'm like, I'm basically breaking even here. Mm-hmm. I was valuing packs at their gem cost. And gold at around the cost of a draft. So I think I, I, at level 60, I got like enough gold for a draft and I got a bunch of packs and I got cosmetics and some mythics and things like that. And I worked it out and it was like, it's costing me like a thousand gems to get this and I'm going to keep playing it. So I think for me, I've already got my value because I value those packs and those wild cards out of it. So all in all, I think it was a, it was a good experience. Um, I think they've learned some things. At Wizards, given that they had to change it midstream, and they also gave us all of these these events, they gave us experience rewards. But I think as a whole, I really like what they did with it. And an event like this at the end just gives those people that maybe just want to get that next pack, uh, you know, a reason to play in the in a you know dud standard. We're in lame dunks, lame dunk, lame duck <laughs> standard period, <laughs> slam dunk, lame duck period. Say that three times fast. Um, and it's just another reason to play, right? It's a it's it. It gives you a reason to try something new, mix up the format, get yourself excited for maybe the next standard, which is what they want you to play anyway. And, oh, here's some experience you can get for free, you know, cost-wise. Obviously, you have to spend time on it. But if you want to be playing Magic anyway, you could be doing a lot worse. And the fact that you can do ranked in this, which I didn't even know when I started, I think that's really cool, too, because now you can do both. Wait a minute. You can do ranked in this? Yeah, I was watching people do ranked with this earlier today. I did not know that. Unless I'm totally mistaken and I was absolutely confused, I'm pretty sure that you can play ranked in this. Okay, you keep talking for a minute about opening arena because if you can do that, then I know what I'm doing all day tomorrow because that's fantastic. So as we talked last week, what we had planned on doing was we were going to come up with a couple of 2020 event decks. We're going to talk about rotation a bit. And then like the next day, Frank Karsten being the monster that he is, goes out and releases an article on channelfireball.com, 17 rotation proof decks using cards from guilds of ravnica forward basically for this event there's ranked play dave okay so i was right good yeah i thought i had to edit you can play this in ranked that's crazy all right well okay i know what i'm playing tomorrow yeah i mean it's best of one ranked but at least not only can you just you know grind out some extra experience you maybe get a, a rank or two and and you know, get a, an extra pack at the end of the week or something like that. That's sweet. That's super sweet. Anyway, where I was before your the look on your face so rudely interrupted me was that Frank Karsten put out a great article, 17 rotation-proof decks, um, with a little bit of a justification for them, a little bit of a pros and a con, um, and then talking about the mana bases for all of them and which ones he thinks are viable, which ones aren't. Obviously, before rotation or before a new set, we have no idea what's coming out. So when he wrote this article, when we talked last week, we had like maybe six or seven cards that we knew about in the new set. And we had rumors that there might not be dual lands in the rare slot in the next set. That's all. So 
if you think about that, all the decks you build, we built in the last week, they have changed, and now there's new decks that are possible now that we've had 20 or 30 cards spoiled. I mean, just for example, Simic Flash was a deck that I was looking at, and I'm like, yeah, there's not really anything that fits in that two-drop spot. Well, lo and behold, we had uh, a rare green two-drop Flash that's kind of bonkers drop today in the spoiler list. So it's like, great, Simic Flash is back on the menu for me. When you're prepping for rotation, you know, it's it's really just about, I think, the the non-serious players, the players that aren't going to put a bunch of money down and invest in that. They're You're looking for decks to play immediately after rotation for those first couple of weeks. I think anybody that's super serious about other tournament players, they really can't do any building until the the full spoiler comes out and they're the ones prioritizing all of these cards anyway so it's it's kind of two different audiences here but i think given that we have the core 2020 we can still talk about this and actually get some value out of it in the next couple of weeks so did you have a chance to read his article i did not peruse the article um i had okay, people so- referencing it but like You mentioned this. It's kind of like restrictions on deck building. I looked at that as an opportunity to have some fun and brew. Because one of the Mm -hmm. first things I always try to do with a new set is brew Jund. And I definitely wanted to play with the new cards that I got from the Brawl event. So I wasn't going into this just with the mindset of I have to figure out what's going to be best in the next standard. Because I feel like that's really unknowable for the reasons that you mentioned. We just didn't have enough spoilers. But I was like, I want to play with these new cards I got in this Brawl event. I don't know that they're going to be all-stars in the new standard, but I want to build a deck with them in it. So I kind of avoided what anyone else had built and went straight for my own things. Okay. Well, let's let's dive right in then. So when you approach a new format, I think we talked about on a, about this on a previous podcast, but when you approach a new format, a new standard, I guess you haven't really done it that much because it's mostly limited for you. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of things are you, are you looking for going into an event like this? Like what are you looking for cards that you thought may have been good that didn't have their time in the sun? Are you looking for building a similar deck to something that already exists? What, what was your approach this week? My approach for this one was thinking that I'd probably like to do something that can be aggressive, and I knew that I needed to have at least one, hopefully more, of those new cards that came in it. So with that as my restriction, you got an Order of Midnight, uh, which is the kind of flying gravedigger from the new set, as well as the Savvy Hunter. And I was like, okay, if I played black and green, like some sort of Golgari deck, I could play both of these new cards... And it's leading itself to something that's wanting to be grindy because like the Order of Midnight is wanting us to recur cards from the graveyard and the Savvy Hunter is kind of wanting to attack and generate incremental value over the course of the game. So for me, knowing that and knowing that I wanted to be somewhat aggressive, I actually went and started looking through Golgari lists from the beginning of this standard format uh, when the last core set came out. And I found one from the Fandom Legends event that Jeff Hoogland had brought Uh, which was basically a very aggressive Golgari list, and not much of what he was playing rotated. So I kind of took out what had rotated, put those cards in, and started playing there. With a few tweaks, I ended up with something I was pretty happy with. And I think I have some more tweaks with it as well. Uh, But like the list I ended up with is running four Knight of the Ebon Legion, four Pelt Collectors as kind of your one-drops that you can get an aggressive start. Uh, Four Growth Chamber Guardians, two Barkhide Trolls to sort of pump them up. Four ofs of the new cards, the Order of Midnight and a Savvy Hunter. I've got a pair of Fine Brokers, three Midnight Reapers, two Nisses, two Night Pack Ambushers, and then a removal suite of Assassin's Trophies and Disfigures. And it's worked just fine. I think we got 
something like 10 wins today. I know I got two levels. How many levels do I have to do? How many levels do I get for that? Is that 10 wins? You get, you get 200 experience for two consecutive wins. So that sounds like one level. Okay. But I'm, I'm not sure how it worked, but I, I felt pretty happy with this. And after I played with it more, I think it was actually when you jumped in the stream and were like, I'm not sure if the Savvy Hunter is good enough because it has to attack twice. And I think you're actually right. Um, the, the, the Savvy Hunter is a three mana three, three. When it attacks, you create a food token. You can sacrifice two foods to draw a card. I found it to be quite good against Mono Red because they were often attacking into it anyway. I could trade it off or something and then have this life gain there. But in some other grinding matchups, I really wasn't getting my value. It was kind of like a Centaur Courser. Now, in the new set, we may have other ways to generate those food tokens, which would make it better. In the meanwhile, Zombub suggested just using something that can sacrifice permanence. So four mana Vraska all of a sudden starts to become very interesting. If I've got a savvy hunter that's, you know, traded off and left this food token laying here that doesn't really do anything anymore, perhaps I could use four mana Vraska to sacrifice that and recoup a card from it. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of interesting things you could do just with this space right now. But the main draw for me was I got to play the Order of Midnight and the Savvy Hunter. And I'm not sure why I didn't notice this when I read the Order of Midnight the first time. If you ever draw two of them, you can basically recur them infinitely, which is probably why the card can't block. Um, like it does the same thing that you could do with two Gravediggers. Maybe you should just explain what that card does because this is a, a spoiler that people might not have seen or if they didn't play the Brawl event, maybe they don't know exactly what it does. But this is one of the first adventure cards that we saw in the Brawl event. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so it's one in a black for a 2-2 flyer that can't block and it's a knight. It also has the adventure text, one in a black, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So what that means is if I want to on turn two, I can just play this as a 2-2 flyer. And I've done that a couple times with the deck. But later, you can pay its adventure cost, basically buy back a card from your graveyard, and put it into exile. You can then cast it from exile that turn or in a future turn. So it's kind of like a gravedigger with flying that can't block, and it's on an installment plan. So, like, I'm super happy with the card Gravedigger and Limited, and this kind of gave me a very limited feel. The way that you're able to loop it with two of them is you exile the first one to get the second one back, then play that one from exile and then just hold on to the second one until the first one dies again. Uh, but there was just so much value in this deck and so many things to recur, I was pretty tickled with it anyway. That does seem neat, and that should give you a good base for rotation, because now you're looking for cards that fit around that, or maybe you're looking for some better food enablers or food generators or you know things like that, things you can sacrifice to Vraska. So it's giving you a shell that you can start plunking spoiler cards into and seeing how it plays out or, or seeing what kind of lands we get and, and seeing how that plays out to make the mana base a little bit better. How did you find the mana base though? Because that is something that I'm worried about going into rotation is that we're losing the check lands, which, you know, I reluctantly bought into because they were just so good and I had to spend all my wild cards on them. I think free to play players really understand that. Um, but like any time that I played, in 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 this event no matter what i played it seemed like unless i was mono red um i was struggling to have acceptable mana on turn three and turn four if i had really heavy color requirements yeah that's the thing the mana is good but it's slow 
mm-hmm. right? Which leads leads me to think like uh, another deck that I tried today, uh, which I think really drives this home because it actually wasn't that big a deal here, right? Like generally speaking, I could get my one drops down and my two drops down and even my threes, but I was playing eight tap lands in this list. So it, it got me every once in a while where I had to go temple into, you know, one drop, you know, jungle hollow and then start going. It didn't bother this deck as much because it was grindy. Another deck that I had speculated would do very well post-rotation was the Rakdos Aristocrats deck. And I, I built an updated version of that and played it some. And I tell you what, the Taplands really hurt that deck. Because it, it super, like, the Golgari deck that I built would like to curve out, but it's got game if it doesn't, right? Anytime you've got Nissa, <laughs> there's an escape route planned. Because uh, turns out Nissa is actually quite powerful. That Rakdos deck had a harder time curving out because I'm having to play you know, a bunch of guild gates, essentially. And that really seemed to hurt it. So it's it's led me to believe that, you know, they've said there won't be a rare cycle of lands unless there's some pretty amazing uncommon ones that we just haven't seen yet. I think your aggro decks probably are going to go back into one color land, which is interesting considering Theros is around the corner, right? Um, that would lead us to think maybe monocolor things are what we want to be doing. But my takeaway was the mana's not bad, it's just slow. You can have fast mana or you can have good mana. You can't have both. Right. I wonder if the correct... And I'm no expert in, in mana bases by far. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a 9-8 nine, nine, in limited, 17 land total. Like, throw a tap land in there and, and split it up. I, I, I'm very, very noobish when it comes to building mana bases in standard. But what I'm wondering is... Is there a point where there's too many tap lands in this in this upcoming format, and maybe you have to just go back to more basics? So literally back to basics. So instead of playing, you played eight tap lands. Maybe you're supposed to play four, and then throw in a couple more basics instead, so that you have that option. Like maybe maybe you don't need colors as more as much as you need, you know, hitting an untapped land on turn three, and playing those extra basics will get you there. But in that aristocrat deck, you really want to curve out. You really want to go one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So should you even be playing those four tap lands, right? Like, and, and it's things like that that I'm very curious to see how it plays out. And we'll know more once we see the full spoiler. But like I said, rumor has it, we're not actually getting those rare lands. So we're going to see what it what it turns out to be. I was really expecting to get the, at least the um, the ally paired uh, temples. Because I think we just have the enemy paired ones, right? Yeah, but now that we know Theros is coming up, I have a suspicion where we might find them. Exactly. So that was, yeah, that was an interesting, we'll talk about that later, but that was an interesting little knowledge drop of, of the new sets coming up. And maybe that, maybe that indicates to us what the land situation is going to look like is that it's going to be so good post Theros when we go into Zendikar, because Zendikar is known for its lands. Maybe we need to have this, this down period where we don't have very good lands and that's by design when the next rotation comes around. And they've done that in the past. Standard typically mm-hmm. goes through cycles like this where it's really good fast mana into really good slow mana. Sometimes you'll even have bad mana, um, but it, it's not uncommon to be playing tap lands. Like if you played through the Cons of Tarkir cycle, you've kind of seen some of this happen before where we had fetch lands in Standard, for example. And like that's something we could see again with Zendikar. Like who knows what they might do. Yeah, but anyway... Basically, your guild gates and and your gain lands are going to be great in the next month and a bit for sure. I would think so, and I think temples are probably worth having now uh, because most of your your decks are going to be interested in that as long as it's a slower one. I was not super happy with the Rakdos deck. I did have a lot of fun with this one, uh, but now that I know I can play it in ranked, 
because apparently I'm an idiot and didn't bother to check. Uh, I'm going to tweak this a little more with those suggestions from Zombub and see what we can do. Excellent. One deck that I've been seeing a lot of is Mono Red. Yeah. And I think this is just this is just a, a mantra that's you know stands the test of time, is that the first few weeks in a format, Mono Red is king, or Mono Color Aggro is king. And I, I think... I don't think it's any different here. I think it's not as good after rotation, but I've seen... Um, what's the enchantment that's focused around one power creatures? Calamity of... Cavalcade, Cavalcade of, of Calamities or something? Yeah, Something like that, right? Whenever you attack with a, a one power creature, it deals one damage to the target. Um, I've seen a lot of decks running around with that. Um, I've seen a lot of decks playing just, you know, infinite one drops or Krenkos or... Um, Legion War Boss, one ones. Legion yeah. War Boss, right? Like, there, there's just so many options in Mono Red because a lot of Mono Red creatures are the same. Like, a lot of your one drops are the same in Mono Red. They have haste and they have some kind of ability on them, whether that can't be blocked or give something else haste or whatever. Um, Scorch Spitters, really good example of that too. Um, and really, you're just looking to fill roles compared to the Mono Red deck that you know of previous. You lose a couple of, of good two drops, but you still have Steamkin and you still have Experimental Frenzy on your on your your four, right? Mm -hmm. You can throw some Chandras in there, basically three drop Chandra, four drop Chandra, who cares? You can just fill those roles. Um I think the real only thing that you lose is maybe lightning strike. If I had to guess. I think I feel like that's real and maybe uh Wizard's Lightning, I guess, is so you'll lose eight lightning strikes. So you just got to build it a little differently, but I think the the base configuration, or at least the the goal of the deck, is the same, right? Burn your opponent down as fast as you can using these little tiny creatures, and then finish them off with a Chandra or an Experimental Frenzy or something like that. Yeah, and I think I should build Mono Red and play with it some. I think Ember Hauler was also a very fine addition for that. Uh, Ember Hauler is kind of a big deal because it can go face, it can go Planeswalkers, it can go wherever you'd like to throw it, and there's even like some minor Goblin Tribal synergies that you might be able to do something with. Uh, it depends on what goblins we see from the new set. But remember, there were a lot of goblins in the core set, uh, in, including like the goblin ringleader. Like that could be mm -hmm. a thing too. Like who knows, maybe we'll have standard goblins again. Well, and there is the icon of ancestry, which is a plus one to whatever tribe you pick. Yeah, so like you could even do something like that. But I, I saw a lot yeah. of mono red today. The the big one for me, which I, I think is actually significant, is you know who does have... Uh, buddy land still who planeswalker dags oh yes just guys super friends actually i read somewhere on twitter that the uh, interplanar beacon is like the best fixing in stand in this event it, which is basically standard it is so any deck that's built around planeswalkers actually has four extra duels uh, so Jeskai Super Friends, I think, may just be the best deck in this event. It's questionable whether that will translate into it being the best deck in Standard, uh, but it's it's running all of the Jeskai Planeswalkers that you would expect and then using Sarkin to kill you while sleeping ev sweeping everything with Deafening Clarion. So I, I found while I was playing against that that, I, and again, I have some random cards in this list. I had two Nightpack Ambushers thinking, I want to be able to get the Pelt Collectors up. I want to have something that I can flash in. It'll be fun. And to the two Golgari Fine Brokers, those were actually really good because the Super Friends decks kind of couldn't kill them. They really weren't able to kill anything that had more than four toughness. Uh, so I like that aspect of them, but like that's the only thing I found to be abusable there. They, they could still drop Sarkin and just kill you. Like they could ignore my Nightpack Ambushers. Uh, so I think that may actually be the best deck, and I think the mana is part of what's making it work so well. 
Well, and it's, it's the versatility, too. It's the defense against aggro, which is what the default that some people play in this format. We just said it's always a deck. Um, and it has game against a lot of things, especially especially without a sideboard. Yeah. Especially in a best-of-one format when, you know, your opponent can't drop, you know, whatever the Planeswalker hate is of the day. In this case, um, Immortal Sun rotated out. But that is really tough to deal with if you're not expecting it. So I do expect that to be very, very good here, especially in the ranked ladder. Um, you're, I think in the rank lighter, you're going to see a lot of the same decks. Mm-hmm. So you're probably going to see a lot of like, you know, you might see mono red nine times out of 10. You might see just guys, super friends nine times out of 10. But as with all formats like this, there's usually a best deck that shakes out pretty quickly. So I'd keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And I, I think that might be it if I had to guess, but I, we're going to do some brewing tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to try Jund and I, I really need to give Esper control a go because it's, it's just not me if I don't try it. I think Esper Control really needs the cards that were spoiled this week. Uh, I know you don't look at them, but uh, there, there's a Hero's Downfall creature variant. Oh, I saw that adventure one. Adventure variant. And I, and I think I think Esper Control is going to have to wait for, for all the cards to be released before before that happens. That sounds like um, a challenge. I'm going to get a very high rank with Esper Control on this tomorrow. I, I, I do challenge you to do that. It'll be slow, but at least it's best of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, a Golos deck today. That was insane. I saw... I, I want to hear about your Golos deck, but that just reminded me. I saw the it, Gates deck make a resurgence playing Fields of Dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that one, too. So I, I saw that one on your stream. So uh, Gates playing Fields... Uh, Field of the Dead with the Gatebreaker Ram, uh, Gate Colossus, Gates Ablaze, which is fantastic, I think, because nobody's expecting it. And, of course, the Guild Summits. That's kind of your base package there. Um, saw a Golos deck... Uh, basically playing, not really ramp, but you're you're looking to get as many lands into play as soon as you can, stick a Golos, and then just start playing random cards at the top of your deck, like Agent of Treachery, or um, I'm trying to think what else that I saw. It was the Agent of Treachery that got me. Um, but basically, you just... Oh, and they were playing Field of the Dead, too. So you're, you're stacking it up. You're attacking on two fronts. You're attacking on the Field of the Dead front, and then also just spinning the wheel and playing random cards off the top of your deck, hoping to hit one of your, your bombs. Um, there's things like Angel of Vitality, uh, a one of Angel of Vitality, I think I saw on this list. Maybe there's two. Um, just, just, it looked like a mix of a Gates deck. Cause I originally, I thought it was a Gates deck. I'm like, oh, that's cute. You can go and get Gates with Golos. Um, but it was, it turned out to be just a Field of the Dead anti scapeshift or, or minus scapeshift deck, I guess. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool. So, um, there's a list going around on, on Reddit or on Twitter where I saw it and, uh, maybe I'll try to find it and link it tomorrow, but there's some, there's some cool things happening. Uh, people are being very creative and again, it's that restriction breeds creativity and I, and I love formats like this. I wish they would do more of this. Me too. That, that sounds like your Ali and Trazi starter pack. Cause he brings something similar to this every time he plays in the fandom legends event. And it's it's interesting to see what he's able to do with Golos and Field of the Dead. I swear he sits down every week to brew a deck and starts with those two cards and then builds around it from there. Uh, but it went from like at the beginning of the format, he's playing what looked like a pile of garbage and losing to he actually like won one of the events with this list uh, in current standard. So like when everything rotated out from the other decks, basically not much of what he was playing did. He initially was playing scape shifts in the list, and by the end of it, just wasn't even bothering. Hmm. Okay. So, a couple of the other decks that I want to touch on here, and I've been really hoping for Teamer Elementals to have their time in the sun, because I've, I've gone deep on Teamer Elementals in paper. I've bought stock in Omnath, I've bought stock in Risen Reef, 
red or uh, six mana Chandra, like I've got futures out the wazoo here. But I think Teamer Elementals could be a deck that um, I, I don't think it's going to be tier one, but it, it could be something if you have the pieces for it to put it together and see if it sticks around post rotation. Uh, because I think it's got a, got a lot of good pieces and it didn't lose much out of rotation. So a version that I was playing, which I'm not anymore in this format, but I wanted to kind of use as a starting point, was I was playing Teamer Elemental Ramp, playing Mass Manipulation. It was really tough to do because of the, the quad blue and then the requirements for, uh, you know, double blue for Nissa, double red for, for Chandra. So you really have to rely on the mana base. But because those check lands are rotating out, you can't do that anymore. So what is it? I, I'm looking at a stripped back version of it playing uh, teamer more mid-range, less ramp, because you also lost your elves, uh, your land, you know, rest in peace, land or elves. Um, but basically you're playing giant crises and giant cavaliers minus the mass manipulation. So you're playing kind of a base elemental, or I'm trying to play a base elemental package with druids, risen reefs, omnath. I really like omnath, especially in best of one, because it's a, it's a flexible spell. You can use it as removal. You can use it as damage to the face and you can accrue advantage, uh, giving damage haste and also drawing cards in the late game. So it's kind of like a really good flexible toolbox card in a best of one format, I think. Yeah, of for course, sure. this could just be me not being a brewer talking about that either. I'm, I'm totally willing to admit that it's my limited bias here. Um, but basically looking to stick green cavaliers because I think th those cards are really good. You can get a little bit of extra value off of it or sticking a six mana Chandra or, uh, you know, or a Nissa or something like that and winning the game off of that. I find that uh, sticking an early six mana Chandra can really hose a lot of decks that aren't playing elementals, obviously like it beats up on, um, anybody playing field of the dead. It beats up on mono red, mono white. It beats up on blue white flyers. A lot of those things are dead to Chandra. And usually you can get a, a nice board wipe or a couple of good spot removals, or even just put pressure on your control opponent. So I'm looking at that. Um, and then obviously, obviously I like casting big crises. Um, but Frank Karsten in his article had a shell for a teamer aggro version that was, very little ramp, no Cavaliers, no Nissas, um, and it was playing the um, the, the two-drop, the red-green elemental that's kind of like a pseudo-lord, mm -hmm. Scorch Spitters, things like that, and it was playing more of a low-to-the-ground uh, version to try to take advantage of a potentially slower format. So I, I tried that as well. I had a little bit of success with that, and I'm kind of torn with what to go with there. So I think I'm going to tinker with those a little bit, but unfortunately, I think the mass manipulation dream is dead right now for me unless we get uh we get some better spoilers at least in the in the team or elemental build because we lose uh those those blue check lands i have a theory about elementals what's your theory so you know how dinosaurs was almost a deck but not mm -hmm. quite and vampires was almost a deck but not quite and then boom it was right before it rotated do you think that's it you think that's what's going to happen well is Zendikar known for having elementals? Oh my god, we're going to awaken some more lands, aren't we? Yeah, I think we are. So I, I th my, my theory is that these elemental decks are going to be almost good enough, but kind of relegated to tier 2. And then right before they rotate, kaboom, welcome to Zendikar, elementals are king. So you're telling me I got to hold on to my futures for a few more months? Yeah, I would say hang on to those uh, because there's some potential there, but I don't think this is the set that's going to bring them. It, it's also possible that we could eventually see like filter lands. Mm, like mm -hmm. those are usually at rare, but it wouldn't be crazy. We could see something like that at uncommon. There's going to be some kind of fixing in the new set, I would have to think. 
and you may need to get creative to find your fixing, but like it's still possible you could cast, you know, have solid three color decks. Um, maybe if you build it towards blue or focus on paradise druids, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to make it work, but it would, it wouldn't surprise me if elementals become tier one once Zendikar is here. And that would make sense. They, the wizards does kind of like to work in cycles like that, right? Like they, they like to give some treats at the end before rotation to encourage people to play. Like, you know, you can complain about wizards design all you want, but they're really good at pe- keeping people interested and, in, and bringing cool new decks every time a, a new format comes out or a new set comes out. So, you know, I'll give them a little bit of credit for that one. Yeah. I think they do a good um, job at that. Speaking of paradise druid, it's kind of sad that not only do the mana bases, you know, get slower, but also we lose our one mana, uh, mana dork. And I think that puts a real damper on decks like mono green stompy and even potentially red green, like stompy monsters, whatever you want to call it. I think the ramp decks really took a hit and I'm trying to figure out if, if I can play like a red green, like monsters deck in this format. Um, you know, we lost elves, we lost Galta, we lose Phoenix, you, you lose lightning strike, things like lava coil, things like that. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if there's a version that can be re- where we can replace some of those cards with Paradise Druids, for example, Shifting Ceratops. I want to play Shifting Ceratops main deck, I think, because um, I think I think you're bringing it out of the board a lot of the time into best of three. There's a lot of blue decks out there. Um, but I think main deck, just being able to give it haste, it replaces Charging Monster Soar for basically the same mana. Um, and then Sarkin, Hel- or Sarkin Hellkites, which I think is a card that was pushed out of being a possible standard playable card in a lot of cases because of Phoenix and because of charging monster sore, um, being easier to cast and also just an extra power and toughness. Um, and, and I'm really curious to see if there can be a deck there, but I mean, can I do that without a one drop elf? I mean, most of the time my one drop elf elf died anyway, so maybe it doesn't really matter, but, um, can paradise druids really fill that role in a format with slower mana as it is? I mean, that's an interesting question. Like, I, I I, think one of the most format warping cards that we had in the mo- most recent standard cycle was Llanowar Elf. Like, it, what it did was take some decks that had pretty good draws and give you absurd draws. Like, we've seen turn three Nissas. We've seen red-green monsters basically built around it. And it, it just, you know, it, it wasn't required. And you're right. A lot of times they would shock your Elf. But when they didn't and you had the nut draw, like, that enabled a strategy. Uh, so I, I think it's a pretty big hit that we're missing it. Like, we've gone a long time without one mana accelerants like that, and we've gone a long time without a card like Rampant Growth, and not having those anymore, like, I, it, it's a question. Is Ramp still going to be viable? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I mean, you still have Paradise Druid. You still have Leafkin Druid. You still have Incubation Druid. You have all the Druids. Yeah, we just don't have any Elves. We just don't have any elves, which is which is kind of sad. So, but I'm curious. These are the questions that somebody else is going to have to answer for me because I am not a deck builder. <laughs> but but I do look forward to to seeing the result of that. And who knows? Maybe you get a mana dork. Maybe you get a a one drop mana dork that you know you can use twice or something like that, or you can use three times. What was the the Chandler Druid from Amon Ked? I guess that was a two drop where you could only use it three times, and then it grew into a reasonable creature while you did it. It was great. Yeah. Speaking of modal spells. Mm-hmm. Man, all the spells I love are modal. Wizards just keep printing modal spells. I don't care. Yeah, me too. Everything should be modal. Um, and then the, the last one that I wanted to mention, I do want to try it because I think it's a cheap deck, is Blue-White Flyers. So if you're a budget player, I think Blue-White Flyers is 
I'm struggling to think of a rare that's in blue red or blue white flyers. Some of them have been playing Sephora, but I don't think you have to. That's the only one that I can think of, right? So I think if you're a budget player and you really want to play this event, get a few extra packs or or, or your mastery pass or something like that. Get a few extra levels. Um, I think blue white flyers can be a deck that can maybe put you over the top if you only have a few wild cards to spend. Um, reminds me. Not it doesn't remind me of mono blue in that way, in the same way that mono blue plays, but it reminds me of that in, in the same way that you can build a reasonable deck for cheap. It's just not going to be as good as mono blue. Um, unfortunately, I think it's missing cards like dive down, which is unfortunate to be able to protect your lords. But I think it's a kind of a cool deck. So if you want to try that, you know, throw a few uncommon wild cards at it and and see how it goes. Kenji actually played a car a, a deck very similar to this in the fandom event last week and did pretty well with it. Uh, it was Safara Flyers. Now, it obviously had a few things that were rotating, but like the, the base shell of it, and he won many games off of just one drop Flyers into Swing. Like, that seems kind of scary in normal standard, and he did eventually get blown out by some Goblin Chain Whirlers. But you know what you don't have to worry about in this event? Goblin Chain Whirlers. Goblin Chain Whirlers. For my elves, that, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they kind of thought of that. Makes me sad. Me too. Makes me sad. All right. So... In summary, go read Frank Carson's article, go pick a deck there, or take one of ours, or go brew your own because that's the fun of this event. You know, even if you're not a brewer, you don't have to play for serious. You can, if you lose your first round in every single event you join, you're not down anything but time. So don't don't sweat the details. And then let us know what you're playing. Tweet at us. We're uh, at arena, score under, arena underscore athletes. Um, we'd love to see the decks you're playing. Maybe you can ship a deck to me that I should be playing. Maybe we'll play it on stream or something like that. I think it'd be a good time. So ship us your deck picks. <laughs> Solicited deck picks. In this case, yes. In this case. Um, and then what about like regular standard? So we, we've we got quote unquote lame duck standard happening right now. Um, but what are you seeing in the fandom event? And are you brewing anything in particular uh, for play this week? So here's the deal. Um, we did this before with relatively short notice where they decided to do a caster's cup. And I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. It'll be, you know, the people who cast the event and we're going to have a fun standard tournament. And then I looked at who actually signed up for it and not all the casters were able to make it. So they filled it in with some other participants. So it was basically me and the Asian Avenger against the nightmare top eight of a pro tour. Like we're talking about... Paulo, Brad Nelson, like standard all-stars. I think Siggy, yeah, Siggy was playing in it too. Like it was just a monster stacked group. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I had virtually no time to prepare. I threw together my Naya tokens list and crossed my fingers and just got smushed within two rounds, as you would expect. So I figured we're going to do another one of these. It's probably going to be with this standard. I think that that's going to be on the schedule what the heck am I supposed to play for this? And I I thought there might be other people who are in a situation similar to this, where there's one last tournament that they want to play in, whether it's your F and M tournament and you really care about winning the one before rotation, you know, or there's some other event that you want to go to. And it's like super later, maybe you're just trying to get to mythic. Like, what do you bring to that last tournament on that last run? Should I go with something? And like, I'm asking for your advice here, Dave, I've been playing a lot of Esper control. Should I be jamming that? Because I kind of suspect with the people we've been seeing here, like the Four Color Legends deck, the Kelthus deck has kind of been a menace on the Fandom Legends event. It's always been there. And they typically are making it to the top eight. 
So like I'm tempted to bring Esper Control and just pack four copies of Leyline of the Void in the sideboard because that does seem to hinder them a little bit. But like, you got any ideas, man? I think the general approach to this should be what's the best deck and can you play it? And if you can't play it, so Kethis Control, for example, you need a lot of reps. Yeah, I think that's probably the best deck and I can't play it. Like, I don't have time to do that. Which is fine. If you're not playing the best deck, you have to play a deck that beats the best deck. Those are your only two options. So if you think you're Esper Control, and you have to have experience with it, so not only does it have to beat the best deck, you have to be good enough to play it and pilot it against the best deck. So I I think Esper Control with a really good sideboard and maybe even some main deck hate... I don't know if there's anything you can run in the main deck that would help in that combo because I haven't played on the ladder in forever because Kethis combo, I'm I'm I don't really want to play against it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'd I am i am rather I'd rather play limited or I'd rather play these cool events and, and things like that. So I don't really know how that matchup works, but obviously Leyline of the Voids out of the board. I don't know if there's anything you can put in the main deck that would help that matchup initially. Ashiok. If there you go. Right, so maybe you swap uh, a win condition for an Ashiok or something like that, like a spicy one of or, or two of. Maybe you swap a Narset out or something like that. If you think that's what people are going to be bringing, you counter it hard. And and I think you are good enough with the Esper Control deck. I've watched you pilot it. You know the lines. I think what you should do is build a version that you think is good for the tournament, take it to the ladder, and jam it against Kath's control and jam it against the best decks because really the people that are going to be in the ladder at your level right now are going to be the people that are trying to get to mythic playing the best decks in the format so i think that's your best bet and i don't get cold feet like the the day before the tournament don't make an audible into like calamity control or you know i'm gonna play nickel bolus tim teamer elementals like don't try to outthink yourself. I think just... I mean, you've read my you know, mind because I was sitting here thinking it could be the last shot for Ralzeric combo. <laughs> I was thinking don't that. It. Don't do it. If you had played Ralzeric combo all the way up till now, you know, and you were experienced with it and you had a good matchup and you had a good sideboard for it, I would think go for it. But I think, um, you know, to, to beat the champ, you got or to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. And if you got to beat the champ, you have to practice hard eat your Wheaties, and have a sideboard plan. So this week, I've basically got, I don't know, a week and a half. Am I supposed to play in this fun event, or am I supposed to prep for this tournament? I mean, it depends on how much money is on the line, but why not both? Because I can't do both. I don't have time to do one both. One is going to get boring. One is going to get boring. Hmm, well, fair enough. You're going to get bored of one, and you'll just flip to the other. That's actually... That's my take. I mean, damn it, that's really good advice. Thanks. That's what I'm I should say. With good advice. You really are. That was awesome. Okay. So I'm going to tweak the deck so that I think I've got a little bit of chance main deck and my sideboard is gunning for Kethis, but also not mm-hmm. super soft to everything else that you might see in a tournament. Right. So typical sideboard. Okay. I can do yeah. this. But, but, I, but you know, like, I, I think Ashiok's probably pretty good for that. Or, you know, I'm trying to think of what else you can even do. What, what prevents Karn? Karn prevents the activation of artifacts. You could look at Karn. I don't know if you can play Karn main deck, if that's valuable to you. Maybe it's not. Like, th- there should be things you can find. Grafstigger's um, Cage, I think, does something, but, like, playing that main deck seems kind of random. No. no. If you're going to play anything main deck, there's the the totem 
that scries and exiles cards from the graveyard. Yeah, that that oh man, that's so bad against opposing Narsets. It is. I th- I think it's really just Ashiok is probably your best bet. But I mean, again, I'm not a brewer. I would go out there. This there's probably some stuff there that doesn't hurt you in game one against all of the other meta decks. But like, I mean, not to, not to share any super secret tech, but you know, if Lord Tupperware is playing in this event, you know, what's he going to lean toward? He's going to lean towards some card, some kind of combo deck because that's his jam in limited. Um, and and if if he plays it, you know, he practices with it, he can be very good with it, obviously. And, and that's great. But, like, everybody else is going to be playing the best decks in the format. Look at the MPL results. It's like oh, I know what they're going to be playing. or mono red. Like, they're going to they're right? invite people from the MPL who have also played in these, and they're all playing Kel'thas. But, like, if Krim comes, I know he's going to be playing Esper, like me, right? And let's say they have Showfill in. He's probably going to be playing Esper, right? So, like, I, I think I need to prep for the Esper Mirror, and I think I need to prep mm-hmm. for Kel'thas. And then just make sure I'm not stone cold dead to something like mono red. Which you never are anyway. And if you played a two of Ashiok in the, in the mirror, it shuts down search for his Kanto. Yeah, it sort of does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sort of it does. does. It's not. So it's not dead, but it's also not great, but I I see what you're no. saying. And, and I wish Scapeshift was still a deck, but it's just kind of not anymore. Like Raptor Jesus coming back. Like, When's the last time you heard of somebody trying to escape some shifts? That's such a boogeyman. Have you actually played against a Rapid Jesus? I have yet to see one. We've seen him a couple times in the fandom events. And like, I put together a dinosaur stack as soon as it was unbanned and was like, I'm playing Raptor Jesus. And mm-hmm. I was happy with it. Like the card's still good. It seems like monsters under the bed for me, but again, I'm not playing in the ladder right now. So what do I know? Well, I, I am now I'm, I'm actually really excited to play magic. I'm glad we did this podcast. I am glad that we are doing this podcast. Me too. Are we going to put the campaign on hold or are we still going to run? <sighs> I think we should probably put it on hold for now. Mm. What about all these campaign posters I ordered? <laughs> I'd like to see them on Twitter, please. Actually, we should probably, maybe we should make them on Twitter. Maybe we should make that a contest for next week. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm tempted to do that. Okay, folks that are still listening. Keep it, keep, keep, make ideas, have ideas for your best Seville Sours 2020 campaign poster. And I'll see if we can swing some kind of contest or something. I know what you're thinking, and I think we can make that happen. I think we can make that happen. Okay. And I don't think the boss man's listening, so I think we got, we could probably just ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Yeah, I like it. Okay, cool. We'll, We'll come back next week with some details. Okay. In the meantime... You can follow us at Arena Athletes. We are at Arena underscore Athletes on Twitter. Where can they catch you streaming uh, Core 2020 and Standard next week? Yeah, and this week too, apparently. I'm at twitch.tv slash Simulin, and I'm on Twitter the same, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. I'm also on Twitter the same. Uh, this week I'm going to hit up a stream. uh, I'm going to stream core 2020. Last week we did some brawl. I might even do some dicey dungeon. So if you're into some non magic games, that game's a hoot. You can catch me on stream. Uh, once again, thanks to face to face games, shout out to face to face games. By the way, I bought my fifth edition white bordered basics this week from them. You're a monster. I cannot wait to put them in my pre-release kit. It's going to be fan freaking tastic. These are the, these are the lands from my youth. So anyway, shout out to them. 
because they uh, they they uh, ship me those this week, and I'll be getting them rather quickly as a nice little early birthday or late birthday gift for myself. So nice. But until next time, thanks for listening. We'll catch you then. Adios.